so I ask you to bear with me for my voice. Um, when I was in elementary school, I loved getting good grades. I loved to get, like, really good grades. Uh, I wanted to please my parents and my teachers, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But I really wanted to get good grades. And I was good at I did. I got good grades. I got A's and B's. I was on the honor roll all the time. And uh, I, I was, you know, a pretty smart kid in, in elementary school. But then I got to junior high. Now, when I was in elementary school, I was part of a program at Crown Point High School or in the Crown Point School Corporation called Gifted and Talented. And you're thinking, yeah, right. No, seriously, I was in the Gifted and Talented program at Crown, in Crown Point Schools. And um, I got to junior high, and my first class of the day was Gifted and Talented. We actually had a Gifted and Talented class. So my first class of the day is Gifted and Talented. We did all kinds of stuff, brain teasers and things like that, learning all kinds of stuff about creative thinking, stuff like that. And um, I got my lowest grade in all of my educational history from elementary school, junior high, and high school. I got my lowest grade. I got a D plus in gifted and talented. And I know what you're thinking. Sean, that proves that you are neither gifted nor talented. And uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I got a D plus in gifted and talented. I, I think it's just because I didn't apply myself. Not that I wasn't smart, but I, who knows, right? Um, now, I have a son, and my little guy gets really good grades. In fact, he gets straight A's. I check his grades all the time. I don't know why I just do. I'm like obsessed with his grades, but he gets straight A's. In fact, the lowest grade he's ever gotten is an A minus. And he's only had like a handful of those. Uh, so through second and third grade, seven report cards in a row, straight A's. And I know what you're thinking. Your wife must be really smart because <laughs> he didn't get the brains from you. Got the good looks from her too. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm thinking about grades this week and thinking about how we evaluate things and how we evaluate our, our lives. Uh, not just how we evaluate students in, in education. Uh, how many of you at your job have ever had a job performance review or, or an evaluation, right? And you get like grades or marks for that, right? So we kind of do this on a regular basis. We get graded, we get judged, we get evaluated on our performance. Well, I want you to, to pull out your bulletin. And uh, if you got a bulletin when you came in, turn to page three to the sermon notes page. And uh, we're starting a new series today. I'll tell you about, a little bit about it in just a few minutes. But I want you to write down some things on this page. The first three lines, I want you to write down three things. Uh, the first one is home family. Okay? So on that first line, write home family. Now, last week I had you guys write down something on pages. I made you share them with other people. I'm not going to make you share these. Okay, this is just for you. The second line, I want you to write down work school. So whether you're a student or you're uh, an employee, write down work school. And then the third line, I want you to write down God church. So God slash church. And I want you to give yourself a grade in these three areas as to how you feel like you're doing. So maybe you feel like you're average, like, you know, it's your home life uh, with your uh, wife and kids or your husband and kids or uh, your uh, whoever you live in the house with, your mom, dad. Just how do you feel like you're doing? So maybe you feel like you're average and, and you give yourself a C. Or maybe you feel like you're above average. Maybe you feel like you're doing really well and you give yourself an A or a B. You feel like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good at home. 
Or maybe you don't feel like you're doing well at home at all, and you kind of say, well, you know, kind of like a, a D student, you know, or I'm failing. I feel like I'm failing at home. Oh, and then do the same thing. So give yourself a grade for how you're doing at home or with your family. And then give yourself a grade in these other two areas as well. How are you doing at work? Or how are you doing at school, young people? How are you doing at school? And I, I don't mean by your grades. I mean by the way that you live at school. Is it consistent with the kind of person you want to be? And the same thing at work. Is it consistent with the kind of person you want to be? So right, give yourself a grade <clears throat> for how you're doing at work or school. And finally, how are you doing with God? How are you doing in your, with your church? Uh, how, how's your relationship with God going? And I want you to give yourself a, a grade. And uh, so maybe, maybe you're doing great. Maybe you feel like, yeah, I'm in the Bible. I'm in the Word. I'm studying God's Word. I'm, I feel really close to God, and, and things are going really great. So I'm going to give myself a, a B. Uh, I don't know that any of us would want to give ourselves an A, because then, then you venture into pride. And that's not very humble, and that automatically knocks you down to a B. Um, or, thank you. Thank you. That was pretty good. But, uh, or maybe you give yourself a C, you know, I'm kind of average. I feel like I look around the room and, and I'm about average compared to the rest of these folks. Or maybe you feel like a failure when it comes to your relationship with God and you just feel like, man, I, I don't go to church enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. You know, I feel like a failure when it comes to my relationship with God. So maybe you give yourself an F. Well, today I want to talk about God's power in our lives. I, I want to talk about this new series that we're starting today. Now, typically you'll go to church on Easter and the pastor will talk about Easter, right? Easter Sunday. I'm doing something a little different. I want to start a new series today. And, and really it has everything to do with Easter because it's all about God's power. And the Bible tells us that the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That we have this power available to us <clears throat> from God the Father through the person of the Holy Spirit living in us. We have this power that's available to us and what we're going to look at for the next seven weeks is God's power in our lives now what we're going to look at is Jesus's miracles in the book of John and in the book of John uh, the, the apostle John records seven miracles of Jesus and, and in fact uh, in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 uh, <clears throat> John writes, now Jesus did many other signs. He didn't do just seven signs, seven of miracles. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That the reason that John recorded the seven miracles that he did was to inspire faith in people. It was so that we would believe that Jesus is who he says he was. And when he says he's the son of God, only the son of God could do these things. When he says that he is God in the flesh, only God in human form could do these things. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next seven weeks as we talk about the power of God in our lives. Because when Jesus did a miracle, when he did miracles, he brought the power of God into the lives of ordinary people. And sometimes we'll feel like our lives are pretty ordinary, don't we? You know, sometimes we'll feel like our lives are pretty humdrum, pretty boring. How many of you have ever said, I'm bored? How many of you said, uh, teenagers, if I don't see your hands, if I don't see your hands, because that's like the mantra of teenagers, I'm bored. 
What do you mean you're bored? You've got Xbox, PlayStation, you've got tablets and computers and phones, iPods. You got books throughout the house. What, what's a book? Right? <laughs> but uh, sometimes our lives do feel pretty boring. And I think it's because we have a lack of purpose. And one of the things that I believe about the power of God is that God's power uh, that comes to us, he gives us the power uh, to have an extraordinary life. Uh, that God has the power to take our ordinary lives and give us an extraordinary purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today, that God has the power to uh, give our ordinary lives an extraordinary purpose. And we're going to see this in the story uh, that we're going to read today in John chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, if you brought your Bible, turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you and turn to page 751. That's the page on which you'll find John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let's read this together here in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, Jesus had six disciples at this point. When it says it's after the third day, this is after the third day that he called uh, Nathaniel, his, his disciple. So, uh, verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, <clears throat> fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Now, this is so important that he filled the jars to the brim because it means that Jesus wasn't able to add anything to the water. They were filled all the way to the top. He couldn't add any dust, like any magic pixie dust or anything like that. He couldn't add any liquid to the water to make it change. No, these were filled to the very, very top. Verse 8, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. <clears throat> they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till, till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, a wedding in Jesus' day was a lot different than a wedding in our day. A wedding in Jesus' day lasted seven days. Se yeah, right, seven days of party and hearty. That's what we're talking about, seven days of just partying uh, to celebrate a wedding. Now, we get, you know, frustrated if the, the wedding service lasts 15 minutes. We want to get to the party, and so did they. Seven days of partying. And when the bridegroom uh, runs out of wine at this wedding, it was a terrible social faux pas. I mean, this was a very bad thing to do. This would have resulted in him being the butt of jokes for many, many years to come. Oh, you remember that guy? Remember when his wedding ran out of wine? Oh, yeah, I was there. Terrible, horrible, worst party ever. I mean, he would have been made fun of for years to come. So Jesus' mother, Mary, finds out what's going on. And he's, she's really concerned. 
I mean, when you were invited to a wedding, it was a big social event, and everybody you knew was invited to the wedding. Everybody was welcome. Everyone was invited from your town, your family, towns over uh, the towns around you. When you went to a wedding, everybody went to the wedding. And so to run out of wine, again, would be just a terrible thing to happen. So Jesus' mother, concerned for this family, goes to Jesus and says, you know, you need to do something about this. Now, here's the thing. Jesus had yet to do any kind of miracles because John tells us in verse 11 that this was the very first miracle that he ever did. So up until now, Jesus hasn't done anything miraculous, which means that, like, uh, Jesus' mother had never seen him do a miracle. So I don't think that that was her expectation that he would do a miracle at this time. But he knew, she knew that he could do something. So she tells him, do something about this. And Jesus says, dear woman, it's a term of affection. It may sound a little cold, but it's a term of affection in the original language. He says, dear woman, why, do you, why are you trying to get me involved? Don't you know my time has not yet come? Because here's the thing. If Jesus reveals who he is at this time, if he reveals that he's the Son of God, if he does a miraculous sign, it's only going to lead to one place. That's the cross. Because once he begins his public ministry, once he begins uh, doing miracles and teaching and healing and things like that, once that begins, there's no stopping it. It's like being on a roller coaster, okay? Once they put that bar down over your lap and you hear that choo as this, the roller coaster leaves the station, there's no getting off. I remember the first time I rode a roller coaster with my little guy, and I'm like talking to him the whole, this is like a real roller coaster, not like the little roller coaster, little kitty roller coaster. This is a real deal. And I'm telling, the whole way in the line, we're like in line for 45 minutes. Are you sure you want to do this? Yes. Are you positive? Yes. I said, do you see that drop? Do you see that? When they strap you in, and we go up that hill, there's no getting off. But it's okay, Dad. All right. So I pull out my phone. I said, I want you to put it on video. And he's like, my name is, and I'm excited. I can't wait to ride my first roller coaster. So we get on this thing, and we're going up. I'm like, you okay? I'm fine. He's like, now he's worried about me. Maybe I'm scared. So uh, he's like, I'm fine. And uh, we go through the roller coaster, and we're, like, sipping around 40 miles an hour and everything like that and having a ball. He gets off. He's like, ah, ah, ah. You know, I mean, he's just, he just loved every minute. We rode eight more roller coasters that day. And it was amazing. It was awesome. I, I love the fact that my little guy loves roller coasters. But once you get in the roller coaster, and once it goes, once it leaves the station, there's no getting off. There's no turning back. When Jesus does his first miracle, when Jesus begins his public ministry, when he says, this is who I am, it's like that roller coaster leaving the station. There's no turning back. Once he starts, he, is gonna, he will not stop until he's finished. And what did he utter? What was the last word on the cross? It is finished. It ended in his death. See, that's the good news of Easter. That's the good news of Resurrection Sunday. That wasn't the end. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, just as he said he would be. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we're here today. That's why we have hope. The hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. The hope that comes from putting our faith and trust in Him. You know, we, uh, we had three baptisms on Friday night. It was awesome. It was just awesome. Talk about the best Friday ever. Not just Good Friday. It was the best Friday for this family. 
And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe in him and we repent from our sins and turn away from sin and turn to God and we confess our faith and are baptized, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Our sins are forgiven and we are given the promise of eternal life that, ju- that even though we will die someday, we will be raised again just as Jesus was raised and we will spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever. That is the hope of Easter, my friends. That is the hope of Easter. And I pray that that is the hope that you have. Back to our story. Jesus' uh, mother says, do whatever he tells you to do. And so he points to six stone jars. These were large jars. They held 20 to 30 gallons of water each. Now, this is no ordinary water. Well, it is just ordinary water. But these jars served a special purpose. And that purpose, the Jews would get ceremonially unclean throughout the day, touching different things, doing different things. They'd be unclean. And so they had these special jars filled with water in order to ceremonially purify themselves, to cleanse themselves. So they would cleanse themselves in these jars. No one would ever, ever think to drink out of these jars. Jesus says, fill the jars with water. They fill it to the brim. And like I said, that's important because it means that Jesus wasn't able to do anything Uh, by adding anything to the water. Couldn't add it or else it would overflow. And then he says, I don't know what he does. I don't know if he like waves his hands over or what. All I know is that he says to to the servant, dip in the water and take it to the master of the banquet. And he does that. And he takes it to the master of the banquet and the master of the banquet takes a sip. And he's flabbergasted. He's floored. He's surprised. He says, to the bridegroom, he says, wow, this is different. See, normally in those days, if you were throwing a party, if you were having a wedding feast, you would put the good wine out first. Stuff is a little more potent, okay? Put the good stuff out first. And what happens is people get a little snookered, right? You know, get a little tipsy, a little buzzed, got a little buzz going on, feel good. And uh, what happens is that it dulls their senses a little bit. Their senses are dulled a little bit so that after that, you put the good stuff away and bring out the watered down stuff. Now we're saving money, <laughs> right? So you're giving them cheap wine now and nobody knows the difference. It's perfect. So when Jesus takes ordinary water, he turns it into extraordinary wine. And the, the bridegroom, the, the, the master of the banquet says to the bridegroom, I've never seen this before. Normally they put the good stuff out first, then they give them the cheap stuff. But you've saved the best till now. You've saved the best for last. And that was the first sign Jesus did. That was the first miracle he did. He took ordinary water and he turned it into extraordinary wine. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing in our lives. That through his power, he can turn our ordinary lives into extraordinary lives with an extraordinary purpose. And I think a lot of people live humdrum, boring, same old, same old kind of lives because they don't have any purpose. They don't have an extraordinary purpose from their lives because they don't have the power of God in their lives. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's what they need. They need God's power in their lives. In order to live a full and satisfying life, get this. This is what Jesus said in John 10, 10. He said the thief's purpose, the Satan, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You don't have to raise your hand for this, but just 
Answer this question to yourself. Am I living a rich and satisfying life? Am I living a rich and satisfying life? Because that's why Jesus came. It's one of the reasons he came was to give us an abundant life, a rich and satisfying life, a life filled with purpose and meaning, a life where you can't wait to get out of bed in the morning. How many of you feel that way? I can't wait to get out of bed in the morning. There's a couple of you. Others are like, my bed is warm. I like staying in my bed. I can't wait to get out of bed in the morning because i got a purpose to my life. So I want to talk about those three areas real quick, those three areas of our lives that we, I had you write down earlier. <clears throat> the first one is a home and family. Are you living a, a rich and satisfying life at, at your home or with your family? Do you have an extraordinary purpose for your home and family? If you're a teenager, how would you describe your home life? Eh, pretty boring. Same old, same old. Can't stand these people I live with. Yeah, you teenagers are like, he's reading my mind. Get out of my head. Or if you're a mom or a dad, how's your life? Are you living a rich and satisfying life with your family? What kind of grade did you give yourself? Or are you spending all your time in front of a screen? Are you spending all your time in front of a, a tablet or an iPad or a, a laptop or a television or your phone? Are you spending all your time in front of a screen and that is robbing you of a rich and satisfying life with your family? Uh, I saw this cartoon this week. I like this. Wi-Fi went down for five minutes, so I had to talk to my family. They seem like nice people. Your home, your family is your number one mission field. That is your purpose. That is your mission that God has given to you. It is your built-in mission, is to be a missionary to your family. So whether you're a single mom, or whether you're mar you've been married for 20 years, uh, whether you've got kids at home, whether you've got uh, grandkids who live with you, uh, whatever your situation is, your primary mission field is your family. To tell them about Jesus, to, to raise them up to know Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the hope of the world. He is our salvation. And without him, your family's lost. And I can't let that happen to my family. I know I need to be a better leader in my family. So dads, if you're a dad, you need to be a good leader for your family. If you're a single mom or if, you're, if your husband doesn't believe, you need to be a good spiritual leader for your family. If you're a kid and your parents don't want to take you to church and you're here today by yourself or your parents don't want to take the spiritual lead, take the spiritual lead in your household. Say, I, this is important. This is my mission. This is my purpose. This is what gives me meaning is my relationship with God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want you to, I want you to think about that grade you gave yourself at home and in family. And how can you improve that grade? I got a suggestion. For the next seven days, all right, here's a challenge. For the next seven days, I want you to take two minutes, just two minutes. If you're already doing this, great. But if you're not doing this, try this. For two minutes, I want you to gather your family. Maybe it's before you go to work or school, or maybe it's uh, when you get home in the afternoon or evening. Before you flip on the tube, before you sit down for dinner, gather the family. Take two minutes. Or before you go to bed, take two minutes. Read a Bible verse and pray together. What? Well, I wouldn't know what to say. Just have a conversation with God. Pray for your kids. Pray for your wife. Pray for your family. Pray for your husband. Take two minutes. 
just two minutes from the next seven days and say, I am going to commit myself to having time with my family in prayer. Uh, it doesn't have to be crazy. You don't have to you know, take hours and hours and hours and pray together. Just take two minutes and say, God, bless my kids. God, bless my spouse. God, bless my parents. Help us to know your will. Help us to do your will. Help our family members who are sick. Help us, God, to know you better. So take two minutes and read a Bible verse and then pray together for just two minutes. And I think you will see a change in your life at home. And, you will, uh, and you'll, you'll discover that two minutes is not enough time. And you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll be spending more time in prayer as a family, praying for one another and helping each other out. That's how you get that grade up at home. And if you're a teenager, uh, if you're an adult, uh, whatever you are, whatever stage you are in life, this is so important. Because like I said, it's your number one mission field, is your home. Now think about that grade you gave yourself at work and school. Think about that grade for just a minute. How are you doing at work? Are you cutting corners? Or are you living with integrity and character? How are you doing at school? Are you cheating on tests and cheating on your homework? Or are you doing what you're supposed to do and living with character and integrity, studying hard and working hard at your grades? So no matter where you are, we have a, we have a responsibility, not just to our employer, not just to our teachers, we have a responsibility to live lives of character and integrity. This is what Paul wrote in Colossians 3.23. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. How would your job change if you felt like you were working for Jesus and not just the guy in the office? And you may be thinking, look, Sean, all right, look, God doesn't go with me to the mill. God doesn't go with me to school. Or God doesn't go with me to my office. But that's not true. Because if you're a born-again believer, if Jesus lives in your heart, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then God goes with you wherever you go. Whether it's work or school. And so whatever you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing, or whatever you're not doing that you should be doing, God knows about it. God does go with you to the office, to the mill, to school. So how can you live with character and integrity when it comes to your job? How can you study and be a student of character and integrity so that the people around you see what kind of person you are, so the people around you know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And it may feel weird. It may feel like different. It may feel like you... You don't fit in. But would you rather fit in with the people at work? Would you rather have them looking at you like, ah, he's just a normal guy? Or do you want God to look at you and go, that's my A-plus student right there. That's my A-plus worker right there. So no matter what other people may think about you, it's what God thinks that is most important. And while your home and your family is your number one mission field, I believe your job or your school is your number two mission field. That God wants to give your life an extraordinary purpose at work and at school. Finally, your relationship with God. 
When it comes to your relationship with God and the church, how did you rate yourself? How are you doing when it comes to God? Are you, are you living a life of faith outside of these four walls? Or do you leave your faith in your pew when you walk out of here on a Sunday morning? Or you just show up a couple of times a month, a couple times a year and say, I did my religious duty, so I'm good. Or are you taking your faith with you? Are you taking it home? Are you taking it to the office? Or do you just leave it here and pick it up next week or next month or next year? It's funny. We'll sometimes find Bibles in pews. And I always wait for the phone call on Monday. Hey, I left my Bible at church. Can I come get it? I never get that phone call. No, it's like next Sunday I show up. Did I leave my Bible here this week? And I think to myself, did you not read it? Did you not miss it all week? No, 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 no. I've got six more Bibles at home. I just read those. Well, good for you. Are you leaving your faith here? Or is it a part of who you are out there? That's the question. That's how you raise your grade when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to your relationship with the relationships with the people you, you know here. That's how you raise your grade. Don't leave your faith here. Take it with you. You have been saved and transformed and changed by the grace of God. How will you respond to that? That's the question. One of the interesting things at the very end of this passage is what uh, the banquet master says to the bridegroom. He says, you've saved the best till now. Now I believe, I truly believe that God's power can give us, can give our ordinary lives an extraordinary purpose. And I believe that he wants to do that in you today. But he doesn't want you to wait. He doesn't want you to save the best till last. He wants you to do it now. Don't wait to make these changes in your life that are going to raise your grade. Don't wait to make the decisions that God is calling you to make. We're going to offer an invitation in just a minute. We're going to sing our invitation song. And we're going to sing this song. uh, And we're going to invite you to make a decision. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, if you've never been baptized, we're going to give you that opportunity today. But maybe it's more than just an opportunity to to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but you're looking at your grades going, I'm not doing very well. I could be doing better than this. And it's time to make that decision, to follow Jesus, to surrender to him, to let his leadership take control of your life so that at home or with your family or at work or at school, or even here at church in your relationship with God, you're going to make the grade. Don't put it off. Let God give your ordinary life an extraordinary purpose now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you, Father God, for raising him from the dead. Thank you for that power. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us now. I pray today that you would make that power real in us and give our what seems to be ordinary, ho-hum, everyday, boring kind of lives, extraordinary purpose so that we can't wait to get out of bed in the morning, to lead our families, to help other people know who Jesus is, to help people follow Jesus. For He is our hope. He is our refuge. He is our light. He is our life. He is our salvation. I pray now that you would help us to make the grade not as a way of earning salvation, 
but as a response to your great grace. So God, now we pray that as you move in our hearts and you move in our lives, we ask that you would give us purpose and meaning. I thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.